Hello and welcome to the Katie Helper Show. Please rate and review the Katie Helper Show on iTunes and also support the show on Patreon. Patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's Patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. For $1 a month, you can be part of the show, help make it happen. For $5 a month, you get Patreon only premium episodes. Again, that's Patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, Patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. This is an interview I did with Mike Duncan, the host of the Revolutions podcast, as well as the History of Rome. And we started talking about the steps towards revolution or collapse that he's predicting and there was so much more to talk about that we're going to continue the discussion Sunday, September 13th at noon Eastern Standard Time and that will be on my YouTube channel and that's youtube.com slash the Katie Helper Show again that's youtube.com slash the Katie Helper Show and if you miss that we'll be releasing it as a podcast so without any further ado Mike Duncan Thank you so much for um, doing this podcast, for talking to me. Uh, really excited uh, to talk to you. Uh, not to sound, I'm sure you get this a lot when people talk to you, but it's like, oh, it's so funny to hear your voice. I've heard it so much on on the podcasts. Um, and it, it comes with a face. Yeah, who knew? I never knew. Who knew? Who yeah. knew? Yes, it's not, I'm not just a disembodied voice. Yeah, you're not just a, a faceless, uh, who was it? Was it um, Romulus who, who like vanished? There were a few, yeah, Romulus, right. Romulus vanished. Yeah, so you're not under, just... Under, under a whirlwind of knives wielded by the nobility. Right, yeah. Uh, good times. Yeah. Good times with Romulus, yeah. Um, I was thinking, like, if his brother had, had won, would Rome be like Reem? Yeah. That would have been funny, yeah. Yeah, we would have called it Ram. Ram, Ram yeah. And then, and then the Rams would have... But, you know, he probably would have been, like, chill and cool and not been, like, the kind of guy who would murder his own brother. Right. And would lace a completely different character into the Romans, and we never would have heard of them. Um, right. That's you gotta, true. You gotta, you, gotta, you gotta be founded by somebody who's willing to murder his own brother right. over order dispute. Yeah. Uh, that's good. That goes <laughs> that's into the... Yeah, that's like the, a... The, the per- Roman martial character. Right. It's the personals ad for uh, Roman leadership. Yeah. Of course, people I'm sure know that uh, Mike Duncan is an historian, New York Times bestselling author, and uh, one of the foremost history podcasters in the world. His award-winning first podcast series, The History of Rome, ran from 2007 to 2012 and led to two books, The History of Rome and The Storm Before the Storm, about the beginning of the end of the Roman Republic. And his second podcast series, Revolutions, traces the history of modern political revolutions from the English to the Russian. He currently lives in Paris and is working on his next book about the role of the Marquis de Lafayette in the American and French revolutions. So, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. Um, So, I guess I wanted to ask you to start off um, about this this tweet you wrote that uh, the tweet that was read around the world uh, where you listed the conditions of revolution um, that that you thought that the the United States was perhaps uh, meeting. Yeah, well, this is it's something that I tossed off on Twitter because Twitter is a good place to toss things off and then walk away from them and come back and see what's happened. Um, But I you know, I work in 
revolutions. I work in studying great, you know, chaotic moments in history. And, and, and what I study, you know, always ends up being a revolution because otherwise I wouldn't be talking about right. it. But these things come from places, you know, social upheavals and economic uh, contradictions and problems and political uh, political conflicts, that these things kind of come together and they don't always produce revolutions, right? Some of them fade away. Some of them, um, you know, go, go in a reactionary direction and sometimes they move in a revolutionary direction. But what I have noticed in America in 2020, which I can now view this from across the waters uh, as I have <laughs> removed myself to self-imposed exile, um, is uh, most of the conditions that I would put into an episode of the podcast series right before the episode where I say, okay, in today's episode, the revolution starts. Uh, most of those things are present right now in the United States. It is uh, there's a lot of long term structural factors and a lot of short term conditions uh, that would be very easy to write up into uh, an episode that will probably you just you just feel it peaking with the election. Mm. And so so I tossed this off and I said all the conditions are there. And then people said, well, what do you what do you mean um, with some concern? I think probably in their voice. And, uh, so then, yeah, you guys, you guys reached out and said, we should talk about this. And I said, okay. And so I have actually now like jotted a lot of these things down. Um, and it's no less concerning than yeah. it was when I, when I tossed this off a, a couple of weeks ago. So should we just jump into the, to the great listicle of revolutionary conditions? Yeah. Um, not to reduce yeah, it to a listicle, but yeah, no, no, these, you know, these, these 12, these 12 weird tricks right. to have your society collapse. Right. Um, um yeah, step give, program. It's a 12 step yeah, program I'll, towards collapse. Yeah. I'll give them to you. Okay. Um, I mean, so it's, it's hard to even know whether to begin at the beginning or begin at, at the end. So I think I'm going to begin at the end. Okay. And the end of, and the end of this is the election of 2020 and the election of 2020 is shaping up to be, can we swear on yes. this yeah. show? Yeah. Okay. So the election of 2020 is going to be a fucking shit show. Yeah. Like th this is absolutely going to be the case. And it's the case for a variety of different reasons. One of which being that we are moving in towards it with both Trump and the Republicans and Democrats believing that whatever happens on election day is going to be illegitimate, right? Because you have right now, you know, I, I think really when I wrote the tweet, it was right when Trump was coming out and openly saying, I'm trying to crash the post office right. because if, if the post office is functional, then people will vote by mail. People who don't want me to be president are voting by mail right. at a much, much right. higher level than people who want him to be president. I mean, it's like 80, 20, yeah. if, if I think it's like one of the numbers that I saw, it's, it's, it's astronomically, uh, people who vote by mail are going to be voting against Trump. So he's just like, let's crash the post office. Um, this is, you know, a, a pretty naked assault on democracy and it is in keeping with everything that, you know, Trump is about. Um, but so so Democrats are primed right now to believe whatever the vote total is, there were shenanigans. There has been vo and voter suppression right. is an issue that has been kicking around for for five years, for 10 years, uh, let's say, um, of aggressively attacking people's access to the polls. So there's a lot of people on on the left who are going to view it as illegitimate. And then it, but at the same time that he's doing all of these things, he's also telling his voters 
they're they're going to be stuffing ballot boxes. You know, they're going to steal this election, right. right? And if it goes against him, he's going to say, you know, it was you know they're you know they're coming in with these with these sacks of mail. He's not going to accept uh, anybody telling him that he actually lost the election. So, election night and and election day plus one and election day plus two and election day plus three. Though that's going to be just insane because no, w- whatever side loses is not going to accept that it was a legitimate loss. Mm-hmm. Um, now these things are born of like a number of different things because when, when you have a revolution, you, you, broadly speaking, you need a bunch of political factors. You need a bunch of economic factors. You need a bunch of, um, social factors. Uh, so politically speaking, obviously the biggest single issue is Donald Trump himself. Like Donald Trump is an issue. He is the most, he's the single most salient political issue Mm -hmm. of the last five years, Trump himself. Um, He is proto-authoritarian. He is incompetent. Uh, He is not amoral. He's not an amoral person. He's an immoral person, right? He's a bad person. Like if if you're, if, if, as I'm looking to my children who are like eight and five and I'm trying to teach them how to be a good person in the world, Donald Trump basically checks every single box of what not to do. He's corrupt. He's a liar. He's a misogynist. He's a racist. He is, I'm almost certain, a rapist, right? I think that that's probably true. At a minimum, it's sexual assault. At a maximum, it's outright rape. Um, He is lazy at his job, right? We, We entrust him with this job to be president of the United States, and he just doesn't care. He's literally golfing all the time. Um, And I haven't actually in the revolutions podcast haven't run into uh, an executive or a political leader who is like as bad as Trump is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Louis the 16th, uh, Nicholas, the second Charles, the first of England, Charles, the 10th of France. I mean, these guys are all famously so bad at being King and czar that they, <laughs> they were overthrown in revolutions. Right. Um, and all of them, I think in terms of their own personal character and their own ability to do the job um, are all better qualified and were better leaders yeah. than Donald Trump is. And these guys are famously the worst leaders in history. Yeah. So you got you got I have to go back to the history of Rome and start looking at, um, you know, uh, the, the teenage emperors. Right. Like Caligula and Nero and Commodus. That's the only place where you really find anybody um, who behaves the way that he behaves like this badly being this like sociopathically narcissistic. You don't find that kind of behavior in the revolutions podcast. You find that in the history of Rome when you're talking about the worst emperors of all time. So, so we have that Donald Trump himself has been, um, you know, just an assault on the American psyche for like five years. And he, his whole MO is to find any cultural division, right? Any place that he can find conflict between Americans, uh, whether it's people kneeling at a football game or whether it's, you know, cans of black beans, right? right? Whatever it is that he can find, he is going to lean on it. He's going to rub salt in it. He's going to cram embers into it. And he is going to take all of our various cultural divisions and he's just going to exacerbate them and make them worse. So this has been going on now for five years, this steady assault, daily assault on our psyche, um, enabled, of course, by this coterie of um, Republican 
like the, these Republicans who enable him and cheer him on. Um, so the people who loathe Donald Trump, which I loathe Donald Trump, the people who loathe him can loathe him. Right? right. It's not it's not a little thing. It's not like, oh, I don't like him very yeah. much. I would prefer him not to be president. It's like I hate this guy and I hate him because he has spent five years reveling in the fact that I hate him making me hate him more and doing things specifically to make me hate him right. more. This whole like this whole own the libs theory of Republican governance, which is just like any what if it's good if it makes liberals and Democrats mad. I mean, that's been a thing. This is fine. You've poked a bunch right. of people with a, with a sharp <laughs> stick for years and years and years and years. So people are actually pissed off at this guy. And the people who love Donald Trump have, of course, descended into and increasingly, like this is actually like picking up steam in a way that um, even I wouldn't have thought uh, possible. You know, like there already was a cult of personality around Trump that has been very troubling. But the way that QAnon has been ripping through the Facebook groups, you know, the way that it's coming up sort of just saturating um, the, the, the brains of people who in other in other ways are perfectly normal are now coming out and, you know, saying like, did you know that Tom Hanks is a pedophile and that Donald Trump is going to like arrest him and right. kill him and it's going to yeah. be great? It's like, what the? What? Um, so this is all happening. Uh, so so the Trump himself as an issue is um, is primed for some kind of revolutionary event, right? Some kind of revolutionary moment, which is either going to be, you know, something against him or in favor of him. Right. And that's the thing. It's like sitting here right now. I, you know, you say, like, are you predicting a revolution in November of 2020? And it's not that I'm predicting a revolution in November of 2020, but I am going to openly predict that something is going yeah, to happen right. it's going to be structural and it's going to be big and whether or not it moves in the direction of you know increasing the trend towards um like american fascism and uh and that you know that reactionary that reactionary bent or whether it does move into a sort of a popular uh democratic right. backlash against what he's been up to for the past five years i don't know which one it would be but it's going to be yeah. one of them well, and also um, I, I think like if it doesn't turn into a like revolution as we've seen before, that in itself will tell us something uh, about, yes. you know, American society or history or, you know. Right. And and then again, maybe it will all just peter out, which right. I don't think is going to happen, though, um, because we have a number of other factors right. at our display. If it was just Trump, I you know, it would just be like, ah, oh, this I'm a fucker, but, you know, everything else is great. Um so clearly the next biggest thing is, is COVID-19, mm. uh, which is, you know, you don't get things like the French Revolution or the Russian Revolution without severe, with, without in these kind of like environmental shocks, right? Whether it's, whether it's famine, an overly cold winter, um, people freezing, people can't afford bread, people can't afford um, fuel for their fires, like whatever it is, or like a literal plague, which is what we're dealing with. Um, you know, this is a, this is a natural biological environmental factor that is just a complete wild card that has been thrown into the mix of an already and we'll talk I'll get into this later. But like an already pretty broken and fractured society right. has now been hit with this like biological environmental um, catastrophe, which is a plague that has forced everybody to stay home. It has resulted in, you know, massive job losses. It has resulted in massive insecurity. Um, you know, people are trapped inside yeah. their homes. 
depression. The, entire, the, ser- the, ser- the service economy, the entertainment economy. Right. Um, ho- you know, people aren't making TV shows. People aren't making movies. You know, many of the things that we right. rely on to sort of keep the liquid capital of um, of the of the country moving and paying each other. You know, like we're you know get getting money, get receiving money, and then spending money to keep the economy going. That all just sort of ground to a halt. Um, which of course was all made worse by Donald Trump, who is incompetent and who aggressively decided to respond with massive amounts of disinformation yeah. and neglect, which made the entire thing worse. Um, you mean you so, haven't found the bleach to be helpful? No, I have not found the bleach to be helpful. Um, I have not found Donald Trump to be helpful. And I live in France right now, which is, you know, you could say like, so we did everything. I mean, I did it. I did a 23 hour a day lockdown in Paris, France in a 50 square meter apartment with my wife and two kids. And it was rough. <laughs> Let me yeah. tell you that. I mean, I love, we all love each other, but it, it was hard. Um, and it's not like the French or the European Union did anything perfectly. And we're probably right now having the second wave that everybody predicted and school's about to start here. And we're going to see what that's like. But point being that it was handled quite a bit better here sure, than yeah. it was in the United States. Um, and this has, you know, proven again how unfit Trump is personally for office. But like the economic shock of this is like unlike anything we've ever seen, kind of. Um, my big issue is that if you back up 10 years, you know, we go back 10 years, where are we at? We're at the 2008 economic crisis. I don't believe that the United States ever recovered from the Mm. 2008 environment, excuse me, uh, economic crisis, financial crisis. You can see in by any measure, the sort of the recovery that the country allegedly had most of those gains, most of that new wealth, most of that new money and recovery money went to investors. It went to people who already had capital. It went to sort of the 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 1% of the United States of America. They are the ones who gained the most. The vast majority of workers, the vast majority of people in the middle classes and lower classes saw their wages stagnate. Um, it, they certainly didn't go up and, and many oftentimes went down. Um, the jobs that then became available to make it look like the unemployment, oh, look, well, the unemployment rate is lower now and people are having their jobs back. Um, those jobs are, are riskier. Those jobs are less secure. Those jobs come with, uh, less pay and fewer benefits. Uh, they come, you know, we have moved towards this gig economy that has, that has started to absorb large parts of the workforces. So you can say, oh, well, this person has a job. So they're not on the unemployment rolls, but also their company is saying they're not employees. Um, right. So that has created, I mean, the 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 precariat, uh, which is a, a vocabulary word I picked up at one yeah, point a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah, the precariat is great. As soon as somebody told me there's this thing that we, we this word I can yeah. use called precariat. It's like, Game Jesus, changer. that's... It's just the, a huge chunk of the American economy is a part of this uh, horrible precariat who uh, don't have any kind of security, don't have any kind of reliability, don't they, and people have families that they can't count on having these jobs. And, you know, you just get this feeling that the whole mentality of like move fast and break things that came out of Silicon Valley you know, the, the principal thing that they moved fast and broke was 150 years worth of worker protections, safeties, 
unions, um, benefits, secure job security, anything. Um, and even, you know, before I went into my, my forest seclusion to finish the book, you know, Uber and, and Lyft are out there threatening to shut down in California yeah. because they can't pay their quote unquote, not actually employees a wage. Okay. So this is like, this is the economics of America in the 2020, in 2020. This is, uh, I don't think that people ever recovered from, from 2008. And I think that then have just been leveled by this second meteor strike. You know, we had one, we were wobbling and then we got blasted again. Um, by COVID. So, and also all, something that, sorry, just really quickly, like, Oh, some, wait, and jump, jump in whenever you okay. want. If you ever want to break up this monologue, no, 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 it's by, great. By no, I'm, I'm totally enthralled. I, and you actually, but it's interesting that I, and it's so funny that this isn't getting more coverage, but you know, how climate change also did contribute to, uh, to COVID. Um, and yeah, and it's weird that like, I don't know, Dems should be, well, whatever I, various reasons or not but uh that's that really is it's funny how little attention that's received um because that is such a great opportunity to warn against that uh right yeah because the bats wow. crazy bats no, an, an an ineffectual opposition yes right <laughs> that's a yeah yeah is that on the, on the list? list okay good yeah um, yeah 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 um and uh let's see where was i you were this, so. i think you were going into number three is oh, that, well, yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, yeah they, they are technically numbered, but also like so we're also dealing and I haven't checked back on this, but yeah. like there was some effort, uh, you know, in the early summer to do some unemployment benefit right. bonuses yeah. and, and, and give out some money. It was, you know, entirely too little. It was right. entirely too late and lasted entirely not long enough. Yeah. Um, which is the kind of thing that you see, like, again, if I was writing an episode, you would say, okay, you have this massive economic crisis and you have the powers that be saying like, okay, kicking and screaming, uh, we will be dragged into giving you some money yeah. that did kind of help. You know, right. like I, I, there are, indica there are good indications that that actually like really did help get like literally just putting money in people's pockets, right. which is something I'm very much in favor yeah. of, um, just direct cash infusions. Yeah. Um, but, uh, then they, then they just have since walked away from it Yeah, and there were eviction moratoriums, right? And those eviction moratoriums are going to start to wind up. And when are they going to start to wind up? They're going to start to wind up in the fall of 2020 leading into right. this, you know, leading into this election. And again, that's the same way that we were, you know, de we're dealing with an economic crisis that's coming on top of an economic crisis that we already hadn't gotten out of, which was 2008, homelessness and houselessness and people losing their homes and not being able to afford homes. This has been an issue that especially the coasts have been dealing with for 10 years. Right. You know, I'm from Seattle originally. I don't live there anymore, um, but I, I lived in Seattle. I lived in Portland. I've spent a lot of time in Vancouver. My family is from San Francisco. My mom is from San Francisco originally. So I've been to all these Vancouver, places. Amer uh, Vancouver, Vancouver, Vancouver. Vancouver, BC. Yeah. Right. I went to oh, 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 okay. Oh, yeah. I Vancouver. remember you said. Yeah, well, it, I remember it, that. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's like like even the Canadians are dealing with this, right? right? Like th yeah. there is there is um you know there the, is a Vancouver, Washington, right? There or is a Vancouver, okay, Washington. Okay, but you're yeah, yeah, yeah but just, right, BC. Just over right. from Portland. Yeah. Um, but uh, we were already dealing with housing uh, housing crisis yeah. and this is all just making all of those things worth and that and that's what happens when i say you know these things 
need to come together in a certain way. It's making things that were already bad even worse, yeah. right? Things aren't getting better. Things are being worse. Yeah. All of this would be bad on its own, but it's it's hitting things that were already quite ter- terrible, you yeah. know, like insecurity and inability to do all these things. So um, what the heck is next on my list? I did actually make a list. Um, oh, gosh, yes. Who are the ones who are feeling all of this the most? It's anyone under the age of 40 years old, Yeah. right? Because- there is a generational divide that has been growing up and I think again was exacerbated by the experience of 2008 where if you had kind of already achieved a certain level of job security and financial security and owned a home and uh, had gotten to a certain point in your life you were able to ride all of that pretty easily if you were under the age what I today under the age of 40 so back then if you were 30 and below um, you know trying to make trying to make your place in the world for anybody under the age of 40, start a family, buy a home, you know, have a career, climb, climb some kind of ladder to advance beyond just entry level nonsense or advance beyond just like a gig economy where everybody is told, oh, well, you prize flexibility. Didn't you know that? And it's like, yeah. I don't prize flexibility. I prize knowing that I'm going to have a paycheck right. and knowing that I'm going to have a job and knowing that in five years, maybe I can be higher and have more responsibility and more money than I do right now, which I don't think is the experience of most young people. And by young people, I mean people who are 33 with two kids, Right. you know, which is people talk about millennials to this day. And by people, I mean baby boomers. Right. <laughs> baby boomers still talk about millennials like they're, you know, 18 years right. old. And it's like millennials are, you know, 35 yeah. and have ne- they've never known this thing called the American dream of which you speak, which is, you know, go to university, get an education, find a wife, find a husband, get married have kids, yeah. get a career, buy a home, move up in the, move up in the ladder, wherever it is, you know, and you know, obviously we're not doing, you know, spend 30 years at the same corporation right. anymore, but you, at least when you, when you leave one place and go to another place, you're, you're moving up, you know, you're taking a higher, a, a higher, um, a position. And not only are we not seeing that, but we are seeing jobs being shed, people being laid off. What kinds of people are being laid off? journalists are being laid off you know it is you know it is a bloodbath out there for journalists and you know this is one of those things where i haven't done a revolution that doesn't involve a lot of really pissed off journalists oh that's an interesting Uh, point you know they you know uh uh, and and on top of that uh a a group of educated people because i mean it's the highest highest university rates highest college graduate rates of, of practically any generation highly educated but not left with anything yeah. that is satisfying or dignifying. Right. Um, so, and Didn't this is- Didn't they do this the study is, about suicide bombers, I think, or that like people expected, you know, the kind of your intuition or would, would suggest, oh, if you're a suicide bomber, you come from like the most desperate, the poorest, you have nothing to lose. But they found that like, not surprisingly, and this kind of relate, this does relate to what you're saying. Uh, the people most likely to become suicide bombers are- um, uh, people who experience kind of a gap, expect an expectation gap, right. right? So they move from like the countryside into the city. They were the first uh, college educated in their family, and then they don't have the so they experience some upward mobility, but not as much as they were promised. Right, um, and yeah. I so I I have also seen those things. Yeah. 
right? Where it's it's not just like poor people coming right. out of the slums doing this, right? right. Exactly. Um, so so I so do it can see, be radicalizing, is I guess yeah, my, it can, can, yeah. can be radicalized, and and also I mean what we're talking about here is just like you know what is the collective amount of stress, insecurity, anger, and fear that is growing up out there. Um, and I think that it has been growing for a decade or more. I mean, you can, you can trace these things back further than that, but let's just say a decade or more that are now being even more acutely felt right now. <clears throat> and I feel like every time I open up, you know, social media, I'm looking at somebody else who just lost their job yeah. and this is somebody or left or left the industry or, um, we're, we're also talking about, um, you know, this uh, another group that I have a lot of contact with is people who are in academia and yeah. in the universities. And we, you know, we know that this is another one of these things that's been going on for 10 or 15 years. This move towards adjunct professors, you know, creating this absolute class of exploited academics who aren't getting tenure track jobs, who aren't being paid a decent wage, who are getting these three month at will contracts to like work their asses off. And maybe they'll get picked up in three months and maybe not. And like, if you're trying to you, like, we're not no, we're not pure nomads here. You can't just like right. pick up and, and and fly somewhere else. If the oh right. well, you know, this year I worked in Virginia, but next right. you know next semester I can go to Arizona. Right. And, and that's especially fun. even more than ever with with COVID, like we're that yeah, much you, more mobile. Right, and so immobile, so you see yeah. a lot. You know, people people coming out of of grad school. So so every university is a hotbed of anger and resentment and you know, and fury, right? Really, I, I think all of these things have been growing. And, uh, you know, I, I spent five years living in Madison, Wisconsin. So I was pretty close to what was happening to the University of Wisconsin system, uh, which was basically under sustained assault by um, Scott Walker and by right. the Republicans who, who more or less wanted to gut and destroy the university system, uh, turn it into like a STEM technical college that no longer would cause them any hassles because they saw it as one of the uh, as a hotbed of of Democrats, yeah. right? That this is where this is where Democrats are, and they just want to destroy anything that Dem where Democrats right. might be. Lazy slobs. Uh, what was that disgusting guy? Grothman, I think his name is literally like Glenn Grothman, some hmm. congressman who called the people protesting a bunch of like lazy, smelly slobs. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it, I mean, it's not I don't usually take this route, but it's just funny because the guy is I'll just say he's not the most attractive man. Uh, so it's just interesting <laughs> to hear him talk about anyone else's uh, appearance or aesthetics. Yeah. Glenn Grothman, Grothman. I mean, yeah. the name is perfect, too. Yeah. And I mean, and Wisconsin has been a microcosm of all of yeah. this stuff, but um, because and we could because voter suppression is going right. to come into this, too, obviously. Um, so we have those kinds of people. And then you have just um, your um, your just your, your run of the mill, just sort of like average American family. Right. Like middle class uh, family. This, you, we all know who these people are. Right? right. And all of them have also been hit by covid. All of them have also been hit by the same economic insecurity, by potential layoffs. And not just layoffs, but the potential of layoffs. I mean, that's the thing. It's not just losing your job. It's knowing that right. you could, at any moment, the next email you get right. could be the one that says you don't have a job anymore. Yes. Like that. Uncertainty in, and anxiety. It lives yeah. in your heart, man. It yeah. lives in your brain. And you, you have to live like this while also, you know, you've got, you know, Johnny and you know Jenny, who are twelve and eight, and who need to go to school. Meanwhile, you and your husband 
or you and your wife both need to work full time in order to keep these precarious jobs that you're afraid of losing. Um, and, and you've been trapped inside your house for months on end. Uh, and the president has done such a horrible job that, you know, you can't even have the grandparents come over and help. And the grandparents are like, I've got parents, uh, you know, obviously uh, they're, they're furious. Yeah. You know, not only are they, not only are they worried about catching the plague, which is bad. Um, they also can't see their grandkids. Yeah. Grand, you know, my, grandchild I, I moved, deprivation. Yeah. Grandchild deprivation, man. Seniors are pissed yeah. about this and they're pissed at Trump about it. I mean, it's very, cause He's to blame for it for the most part. Right. Um, you know, my parents can't cross. I don't know when I'm going to see my parents again yeah. because, you know, I don't know when the European Union is ever going to be foolish enough to let Americans right. into this country, which, uh, you know, right now I wouldn't do it. Right. Um, so not so to mention got, all the isolated people, the single people, like the people living right. at home. I mean, exactly. it's Thank just you. like. I keep forget. I mean, it's horrible, but I'm I'm blessed with. I'm not in New York City, which is where I live, and I'm here with my parents and dogs and um, a family friend. And I every now and then I'm like, oh, this sucks, which it does. It it sucks, but then I remember it's like there are people who are trapped in in a city, and mm -hmm. they cannot. I mean, the depression rates and you know domestic right. violence rates, as you referred God, to in your the opening of your last as your like hiatus intro podcast. But it's just, yeah, and it really is heartbreaking. You know, think elderly people and uh, people just like locked in. Um, yeah. So yeah, and it and it's really true. Thank you for that because it is like it's a tale of two. Covid's, right. I feel like because, and yeah. I'm coming at this like I have an eight year old and a totally. four year old. So yeah. like, so like, so like for me, it was like we are on top of each other, right? And like when lockdown finally like released, it's like all I want to do is just go stand in a field and not look right. at anybody and not talk to anybody. Right. Just give me some right. space. Right. But yeah, and of on course, the other I, side, it's the and on the other right? side is somebody who is so desperate for any kind contact. of real human contact yeah. because they haven't had it. So I I don't think that we should ever. I mean, like, and you just did it too, right? Put on a brave face. Yeah. Which is, it's not that bad for me. Yeah. Other people have it worse, you know, and everybody says this. Yeah. I say this, but like, it's bad for everybody. Yeah. And it is, it is having an impact on each one of our individual psyches and collectively right. that kind of trauma. We have been traumatized yeah. in one way, shape or form for the last, um, you know, however long it's been now, six months we have been enduring um, daily trauma. That yeah. we have been putting aside, that we have been putting on a brave face. We're sure. saying, okay, well, let's let's get through one more day. But this this shit is building up, yeah. and it has been building up. And then, like, so, okay, I haven't even talked about the like the mother of all whammies that also comes into this, which is the oldest um, problem that America has dealt with, that America has not dealt with and has actively made worse going on 400 years now, which is race relations right. in the United States of America, which on top of COVID and Trump, which Trump made everything worse, which is partly why this is all blowing up specifically right now. Um, but you have suddenly some of the largest protests in American history um, that are happening in cities across the country that involved uh, clashes with police, most of which, in my opinion, were uh, exacerbated by the police, yeah. right? Where you have a lot, where you have a lot of peaceful protesters coming together 
And because it was against the police, the police were like, well, you know, one one empty water bottle goes flying and it's here comes the tear gas and the batons. Right. Like and and I I lived in Portland for six years. Like I wrote most of the history of Rome when I was in Portland. So like I know where I know all of those places. and I know I know a lot of those people. Um, And I, you know, watch what was happening in Seattle, which is another city that I know quite well. And all of these places, I mean, the 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 clashes between the authorities and the people. Right. And the way I think that there was a great deal of radicalization that went on in those moments is people got together to say black lives matter. And this, you know, this continued mistreatment of the African-American community by the powers that be, by the police, by, um, you know, just by a host of uh, a host of ongoing factors that, that you know, America was founded on, essentially, um, I'm going to protest these things and then having the police come in with batons and crack heads I think that that has led to a, a much more confrontational attitude on both sides. So if, for example, you get to the point in November of uh, 2020 when there are going to be protests against Trump or the other way, I guess, <laughs> I just I feel like this is I feel yeah. like this is going to be happening in a certain way. Um, but when that happens, it is going to be a rekindling of the same people who were on the two sides of the lines in June and July are going to be back on those same two sides of the lines in November and December. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be a lot less willingness to do anything but just fight it out. Yeah. Um, So like in the, in the French revolution, there was a, there was this moment called the Réveillon riot, which is right before the convening of the Estates general in 1789, where there was a protest that led to, um, that led to a little riot and they, they broke into the people broke into a factory and they started trashing the joint. And then these, uh, these soldiers came down and they were ordered to open fire on the crowd and they opened fire on the crowd and maybe like 50 or hundred people got killed. Um, so this is like in April of 1789 and this is in the Faubourg, uh, Saint Antoine. This is right in the shadow of the Bastille where this is where this happened. And then you fast forward two months to July, right? Which is when the Bastille fell. Um, that was the same people in the same neighborhood, you know, that had now been just two months earlier been attacked by the guards. And so they were e- at an even more heightened sort of fever pitch. And on top of that, the guards themselves who had been for who had been ordered to fire on these people were not too happy about the fact that they had just basically murdered a bunch of um people who they had a lot more in common right. with than officers. And so a lot of them defected across the line and helped take down the Bastille. But these these protests that have been going on all through the summer, you know, that can become a major prelude to what goes on in some kind of election day plus one um, political emergency, yeah. which, which could very well happen. And it's attempting to address the thing that is number that is America's greatest sin, which is its ongoing racism against really all people of color, but specifically the African-American community. Um, the other great sin being indigenous genocide, right. but focusing specifically on on right. uh, on what we have, what white America has done to black America for 400 well, years. Well, in large part because there are not as many indigenous people around right. because of right. the there are, said, there found, are, said founding. Right. There are, it, it, yeah, there, there, is, there is this thing where uh, for white America... Um, black America is the great boogeyman right. and indigenous America is the forgotten ghost. Yeah. 
and those those are the those are the things that that's the lens through which right. uh, I think a lot of white America views um, views the country. Yeah. And so this is we're now there. There is this reckoning with you know some of our deepest racial divisions, right. um, all of which are exacerbated specifically by Trump, who has run on an explicitly racist right. platform since he first announced his candidacy. Um, you know, War- like a, warning like, warning us about the Mexican rapists. Exactly. Mourning us about the Mexican rapist said the big fat white rapist. Right. Um, so that's cool. Um, so so all so now all of this is going on. You've got you've got you've got a literal plague. You have um, one of the greatest economic shocks to the American economy. You know, it's right up there with the Great Depression and the Great Recession. Um, you have social stress, insecurity, anger, fear. Um, you have this political crisis, which is Donald Trump himself being pol- being proto-authoritarian, and then the Republican Party in general. So now we're now we're building towards this election again. We're like we're kind of we're going back now towards the election, and they are aggressively assaulting voting rights, and they are going to make it very difficult for people to vote them out of office. Um, the gerrymandering has already structurally contributed to the way that the House of Representatives works. Um, the states themselves are an active gerrymandering to create the Senate to be the way that the Senate is. State legislatures and state houses um, in many places are uh, are affected by this. Uh, you know, in, in Georgia, in Florida, in Wisconsin, where I spent five years, where you, you would have, a, I mean, we would do a state election. 50% of the voters would vote for a Democratic candidate. 50% of right. the voters would vote for a Republican candidate. And you look at the you look at the assembly, which is 99 seats, and 66 of them are Republican and 33 are Democrat. And you're like, this. I don't know how else to say this. This this isn't fair. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, right. I don't. There's really no other way to say it. That's not fair. Um, so I'll just say it like that. And so the so unfairy un, unfairiat trying to do the yes, precariat. Yeah. You know? Right. We're the unfair. It's just like at a certain point, you know, Trump lost the fucking election. Yeah. You know, we, we know that he lost the election by three million votes. Um, and we're, we're heading into what is bound to be another close election um, because because uh, <laughs> America can't look at everything that Donald Trump has done and vote him out of office. Ninety ten um, because we don't live in that world. Um, so it'll be close. And they're clearly their whole strategy involves um, tanking the election, closing polling places, making it difficult for people in for certain people in right. certain parts of the country uh, to vote. Yeah. I think that it, it was very clear that the decision to send in uh, those federal troops, like whatever they were, like the federal gang guys yeah. to um, to Portland, which was about, number one, getting good uh, viral video art for their own, like little for their own campaign. Um, but also to test what it would look yeah. like and how it would work and what it would do. And, you know, Barr has said, I will be making the final decision w- when and where, uh, pe- people, uh, where, where, when and where the unrest will be such yeah. that I might have to deploy these forces. And you just get the feeling like, okay, well, let's just find a swing state and right. the city and the black neighborhood and that's where they're going to go because they are going to attempt to intimidate voters um, into not leaving their homes um, in Detroit, in Milwaukee, right, in Cleveland. Uh, so all of that is we're now we're now leading right back up into it. And you have there is this other side because you can't you can't have a revolution and you can't have unrest without 
you know, there really being two sides of this. And we, we touched on this a little bit. And I, I think I am actually getting to the end of this list here. I hope. What I number? Hope I hope this is enough, right? I think yeah. this is 12 or 13. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can go which back is, and like highlight the the names of which, it. Yeah, which is just the um, the insane levels of just like toxic radicalization on, in the right wing. Um, in amongst conservative circles coming out of these Facebook groups and um, and coming out of and coming out of YouTube QAnon um, You have what, what's the other? Oh, yeah, the the, the boogaloo guys, yeah. right? The, the Civil War two electric boogaloo people um, These three percenter militias, right, which are all sort of like coalescing around each other They are being encouraged by Trump. They are being encouraged by Republicans um, I know that the Texas Republican Party was is openly selling, you know, like the coming storm merch, right, which is just a straight play to to QAnon. And QAnon is um, really just like a crazy fascist fantasy, which is you know, when, when you get to when you get to the end of what QAnon thinks is going to happen. It is the great savior. Donald Trump is going to arrest and eliminate these debauched homosexual pedophile liberals yeah. uh, who have been destroying the moral fabric of the country and who need to be purged. I mean, it's really sick and twisted stuff once you once you get to the end. And people are being brought into it, you know, by being told like, oh, you know, there's there's child trafficking rings and, and this is a big concern. But they don't see yeah. how much um, the end, the, what what they're being led to is insane. And the problem with all of this, of course, is that we do have things like Jeffrey Epstein and we do have people like Bill Cosby who are living proof that it doesn't matter, you know, like especially like with Bill Cosby I and mean, Bill Cosby is living proof that it doesn't matter how good you seem to be in public. You can be your for your entire life um, a right. serial racist and you can just say, well, it's not that crazy. I mean, look at Bill Cosby. I mean, look at the look at the circle around Jeffrey Epstein. Right. It's not like things don't exist in the world. So right. then it's like, and, oh, okay. and it's bipartisan. I mean, like we have Trump and Bill Clinton hanging out with Epstein. Yeah, well, yeah. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Bill, oh, Bill Clinton is poor oh, boy. He's yeah. in all this yeah. stuff, you know. Yeah. yeah. Bill Clinton is um, boy. Yeah. Boy, how. Um, yeah. So this is so I think I think that that's most of it. I'm sure there's like at least a half dozen other things that I'm probably forgetting. But that's like so. So now I'm doing. So now I have to sit down and write a five thousand word, you know, sort of like let's sum up right. the state affairs, so that next week, you know, in the you know the famous, the infamous election of America in, in of November twenty twenty, um, you know, these are the things that fed into this, and these are all the same things that I would have described to um, to set up the revolutions of 1848, which was, you know, like a potato big year, big year, you know, potato, yeah. a potato, a potato famine leading into some. And then there were some other crop failures leading into a business recession and a financial crisis. Um, you had overly educated uh, Germans who couldn't find jobs in the bureaucracy, yeah. you know, like like. So that was all of that. 1830. Same thing. You know, the, the great French Revolution of 89. Right. Same thing. All of these things. This is just what happens. And the ones that I talk about become political revolutions. Um, so maybe something will happen. Maybe nothing will happen. But but all man, all the fires there. It's already on fire. Speaking of climate change, California right. is on fire. Right. And because yeah. of climate change. So you've yeah. got you've you've got I mean, you've got infernos. Come, there, there was this picture that I saw. That was like this is twenty twenty. Yeah. Did you see this yeah. picture? Yeah. The, like the please, the please wear your mask. Yeah. And it's just and a fire. Yeah. Fuck. 
Well, that's a nice thing. It's like when it's on fire, ostensibly, one would hope the COVID is not, you know, all the germs are killed. So, right. So if you want to hang out in a fire, like when you're when you're sitting in in, in eternal damnation, you don't have to worry about germs. Yeah. Um, One. So that's. What would what you mentioned ineffectual uh, opposition? So oh, is right that a, is that right. part of the? I, I, I that's something I'm kind of focus on a lot, and I think that, um, and it's an it's funny like so Michael Moore is constantly trending because he got the election right last time, and now he's saying again he's like look don't underestimate Trump. Um, and he's not a Trump fan. Like people, you may have seen his movie Fahrenheit, um, 11, nine. Uh, and I, I bring that up though, because there is a, I think this weird, there is a cognitive dissonance like and denial where Trump is this existential unprecedented threat, Cheeto Mussolini. And also we got this. Right. And that's a dangerous combination. Right. They, they made a decision. I don't even know when to put every single egg in America's basket into we will beat him right. in November 2020. Right. And if that doesn't happen, um, then yeah, which obviously it could not happen. Right. Right. And I, I would sit here and I would tell you also do not underestimate him. Right. Uh, do not underestimate the American electoral system producing exactly the same outcome that right. it produced in 2016 which is him losing by 3 million votes and right. winning and the winning, presidency right. and, ha- we have and having, the and having nothing yeah. that anybody can actually do about right. it. Um, because they have continued to play like they could have impeached him. Uh, they could have been exposing his corruption. They yeah. could have been exposing all of the things that he had, has done wrong and kept right. up a constant drumbeat of this guy is corrupt. This guy is bad. This guy does terrible things. Here's another terrible thing. And they just decided that that would be a poor strategy. They actively moved to make impeachment come and go as quickly as they could humanly make it go quickly. Um, uh, so that it wasn't, so that it wasn't on the table, mm. right. In, in the election. Um, right. so, you know, I'm, I'm not in Washington DC. I don't actually know what it is that they're thinking. I do know that like in 2018, Pelosi's whole Pelosi's big takeaway from 2018 was that they didn't win back the house because of people like Ocasio-Cortez or, um, or, or those really deep blue seats. They won it because they got a lot of these sort of suburb, suburban, like freaked out suburban moderates who voted a certain way. And so they didn't want to, um, like they're just they're very timid. Yeah, though. that's the thing is they're very very timid, and I do think that there is a a, a, a vacuum yeah. of opposition, right? right? That that at the same time a lot of people voted for them to take back the house, yeah. to be oversight, right? To be a check, right? There there are checks and balances yeah. in the American system, um, and I think also um, it's yeah. Have you read Listen Liberal by Thomas Frank? No, it's really good. And one of his big theses, the main thesis is, is that like Democrats uh, often pretend that they're that they oppose something. And we often think of Dems and they are this. They can be inept and they can be spineless. But there are certain times where they actually want the thing that they're pretending to resist. And if they actually really didn't want it, they would fight against it effectively. Right. Um, and so you see that with like the Pentagon or Trump, you know, this guy, you want this guy to have more money. You want his war machine to be more funded. 
um, you know, all these Dems who voted against slashing the Pentagon by 10 percent, which would have brought it to Obama levels. Um, right. And I mean, I don't know. I'm a big Bernie person. I also think that like uh, not having him. I mean, I'm I, I'm separating this from my own like liking of him. I actually just think that he I think that that. Like. That was not a good look. Um, the moderate consolidation, of course, it's it's the right of everyone to do that, like if they want to drop out in a coordinated way. But I do think that there are people who I think Sanders had the biggest ability to peel away Trump voters. That's what I'll say. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just it's two theories that there's two competing theories yeah. of of how you get Trump voters. I, I do think it speaks to what. um what the party is capable of when it puts its mind to it. Yeah. Uh, and you would like to see that, right. you know, have Imagine that same they did kind that. of yeah. discipline verve, verve and, and energy yeah. right. and unity and right. discipline when it comes to actually fighting, you know, like the real yeah. enemy, right. which is, right. Um, you know, which is proto-authoritarian, right. which then, of course, yes, then they turn around and say like, oh, Trump is the, you know, the worst thing in the history of the United States. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Can we yeah. do something right. about him, please? Let's sign the no, we can't. Sign the offensive military budget. Also, um, the other thing is that this is just a, this is more getting into the, the Trump dynamic, but I do think that what sometimes liberals don't get is how Trump fans see him and how the unmotivated base sees the world. And uh, the Trump's major get out of jail free card is that he, as you said, he's he's immoral, but he's also amoral. I think he's both. And he never pretends to have any kind of political, ideological conviction or consistency. Right. So when he points out Hunter Biden and MSNBC freaks out. They're like, how could he possibly say that when he's such a nepotist, which he is. Trump is a nepotist mm -hmm. and he's incredibly corrupt. But that's not against his brand. That doesn't violate his brand the way it mm -hmm. does with with Biden or any other Democrat, let's say. Right. And quite frankly, many Republicans, but not as much as the Dems, I don't think. Anyway, that's a, whatever. Let's table that for a second. And the thing that that Sanders has and it's amazing. I mean, watching it's almost genius and genius watching Trump go at people from he'll go from the left or the right and he'll do in the same speech. Right. And you remember in 2016, he went after Hillary Clinton for using the term super predator. And this is a guy who wrote an op ed in the Daily News calling for the death penalty to be reinstated after the Central Park Five. I mean, this right. is a guy who is not a is not good on criminal justice stuff and uh, ra racially coded language. Um, um, excuse me. He's done more for black people than they, any president they, in American history. They love him. The blacks. Love him. I have a great yes. relationship with the blacks, as he used he, to yeah, say. Yeah. Um, he, um, yeah. He said so. So it must be true. I know. And he calls them the blacks. So that's a good sign that you have a great relationship with them. But but the thing is that like Sanders is someone who does not have a lot of inconsistency and hypocrisy and that's the one area that i do think that trump it's like it is his kryptonite because he doesn't it's asymmetrical warfare like he doesn't have to live by those rules and everyone else does right so and and yeah. and, and, yeah. and other people and he you know it, it really goes to show you know the power of shamelessness yeah in in democratic, dem small d democratic politics, mm. which actually like Bill Clinton used to be like my big example for this. Yeah. Like what, what you can get away with if you literally have no shame. Yeah. Um, that if you look at um, uh, Clinton's run through the 92 primaries, yeah. 
like a normal person would not have been able to survive that level of humiliating scrutiny, yeah. um, which he went through as all of his affairs were coming to right. light and all of, the, all, of the, all of these things that he had done, like, because he was just kind of like this um, kind of slimy Arkansas yeah. <laughs> um, politician right. uh, with obviously with huge issues on uh, w- with women. Yeah. Um, the, the and fact race. That he was a- and, Sister, yeah, the and sister the, soldier moment and executing yeah. Ricky Ray Rector and, and yeah. And the and the fact that he was able to move through those scandals and come back from it and be, you know, the right. comeback kid, right? The comeback kid thing from 92, which I'm old enough to remember yeah, all this stuff because I was I was young and precocious at the time. Too, yeah. Um but uh all of that is premised on him not having a human level of shame, right. which you know, if that had happened to me, if I had done all those things right. and then it was coming out in the press, I would be like, oh my God, I can't handle this. I'm out of here. Right. Um, but he did. And so I used to be able to point to Bill Clinton and say, it's amazing what you can get away with in this country if you literally have no shame. And then right. Donald Trump, tr- no, Donald yeah, Trump he blew that out of the water. Yeah. To, well, to but because Clinton pretended to have, remember, like he pretended, he tried to affect this almost Jimmy Carter, like, um, uh, self-flagellation i mean he didn't at all but he kind of he kind of gestured towards that right for misleading the american people after i mean i think you're right that it is there and he couldn't care less but he had an affect of um of kind of christian redemption narrative uh yeah that's really true but and and trump has trump has none of these things even though he's an incredibly strong christian his christianity is incredibly you know, they asked him about the IRS auditing him, and he's like, I think it may be because of my incredibly strong Christianity. Yeah, he's lit. He, like, non. Well, I, I mean, he kind of is like a mass murderer at this point, like, um, you know, for, for what you can actually hang on him. But, I, you know, he's like, he's like the worst human being. Um, it would be, it would be hard to construct a, an individual with more distasteful ways of behaving. Yeah than Trump, which is like, which is this whole other thing, like, and, th- and this is, this gets back to, um, you know, sort of like, w- what is the actual opposition to right. Trump? Because I, I remember Susan Collins, like saying, you know, um, you know, if he would just stop being so vulgar, yeah, then I could support him to the hilt. And you're like, well, what about all the other stuff? Yeah. Like his, his well, actual vulgarity yeah, is like the, and the least the, objectionable right. thing and about I, him. And I actually <laughs> think that that's the big thing that is just a distraction. His tweets and his decorum, like that's yeah. not the problem. And also that's why sure, the people sure. who love him love him. So right. when people go after him for that, it's like, f- fuck yeah, I love that stuff about him. That's why I like him. And I think for the base... The un the base who may stay home. It's like that's really that I don't care about that part about it. Like right. you know, I care about my jobs or non ha- not having jobs. And I really do think that like Sanders' ability to speak to, in fact, I, I, something that struck me as and you as someone who studies revolutions, like historically, you you don't really defeat right wing populism with moderate stuff. Like you you swing it out with left wing populism. And, uh, and, you know, there's almost this, this, this purity politics coming from kind of centrists where if, if you even appeal to these, you know, deplorables, that's bad. When, of course, you want someone to appeal to these quote unquote deplorables who says, you're angry, you're in pain, I get it. Blame corporate greed. Don't blame you know, your Latino brother, black and Latino brothers and sisters, whatever, as opposed to saying blame Muslims and black people. Right. 
And and that's the thing that people don't get, I think. Well, one of the things. Yeah, and, and I think because because when you picture who the 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 quote unquote gettable right. Trump voter is, right? When when you talk to the people who coalesced around Bernie or excuse me, when the people who coalesced around Joe Biden, right. they are picturing suburban moms. Right. And they are picturing dentists and insurance agents and people who live in the suburbs. Right. Who, you know, are kind of like just run of the mill and always white for example. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Let's be clear about that too. You're picturing like white people yeah. in the suburbs who you don't want to freak them out right. with, you know, the with the crazy communist. Right. You know, with Uncle Bernie the crazy right. communist. Um and because a lot of those same voters, when you look at who votes in a general election right. and we all and every you know it's always older people who vote right. more and it's always younger people who vote less and then when those right. younger people grow up they vote more and the new younger people vote less yeah. it's it's that's the way it works and so all like all those voters um grew up in the cold war and right. were absolutely you know just saturated yeah. in um uh, in a cold war mentality that that didn't just make there, there was like a double thing that went on. It, it didn't just make um, communism bad, right? Which of course sure. it did. Like the communists are the bad guys. But it also taught everybody that Americans don't want any of those things, right? Yeah, that was the good, other thing. Right, it's, it right, not, right. Not, not only is it bad, but, but also- it's unpopular. We don't, we don't right. want those things. Right. And people don't like these things. And that's right. not the way Americans yeah, do things. And right, I, think right. that that is, I think that that's a story that started yes. getting told that, you know, and what we're talking about here is like, Unions and healthcare right. and lots of things that ha are very, very, very popular. Yeah. Um, that the GI don't... that happened, like the GI Bill that happened, you know, totally. Um, and you know, New deal, tuition rates yeah. subsidized right. at ninety percent, and you know, right. people, uh, having having all these having all these social programs. And man, when when Trump, like, what happened when Trump actually like cracked into the Republican field? Like, how did he do that? He did that by saying, these assholes want to take your social security. These yes. assholes want to right. take your Medicare. I'm not yeah. crazy right. like these dumb, I'm not I'm, crazy right. like these yeah. dumb. I'm not, I'm not Scott, I'm not Walker. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm not, not a um, radical, uh, like, uh, what, austerity. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not one of these lunatics. I'm not going to take your stuff right. away from you. And, and for no more endless wars. Right. So, so he had, he had a thing yeah. that was going on he there that is still that. like, like this, this, um, this like Heron Volk socialism uh right. thing that he was that he was pitching uh which is very scary when the next person comes along and picks up that baton yeah. because that baton still exists right. um and and can be picked up by trump obviously he's so uninterested in actually governing that he did right. then give legislative agenda over to the very people who had right. been criticized right. in the, the primary. but so so yeah, the, the centrists are picturing, you know, all of those suburban voters as the ones to get. And what right. you're talking about is, you know, the people who are who are angry and disaffected, right. the, these anti these anti-establishment right. people who exist in the precariat, who exist right. in um, who who don't have an American dream to look forward to, right. who don't have a future, who don't who don't have any kind of feeling of dignity or, or the possibility of progress. Right. There is a lot of depression. There is a lot of drug right. abuse. There is a lot of suicide right. um, out there. And yes, absolutely. And that's what Bernie Sanders right. is going to be pitching. Right. And I think that the, I think that either one of them could make that you know case. make a strong case. Yeah. And the, and the the thing that I think that you know it's but it's Sanders like, thing so, also just really quickly about I think that some there's this myth that what you would do to get the disaffected white working class is it's like a false dichotomy like you can get them or you can get the 
um, unmotivated base, right? And you have to go to one, you can't, if you go to them, then you're gonna throw black people and LGBTQ people and women under the bus. And it's just not true because all the programs that you would pitch to the white working class are programs that actually poll very well and disproportionately help people of color. Yeah, they, they, want, they wind up structurally yeah. doing redistributive work right. that you actually need to, to go on. Right. And it's very popular with right. those people. So, and and yeah. the I mean, and the other thing that I think that Sanders had going for him is that I, th I mean, this gets into a little bit more like psychology about what we're looking for in a leader. People respond to strong leaders, they, yeah. people who people who are confident and speak forthrightly right. and people who speak in simple terms in a yes. confident way. And good storytellers. Like, and yeah, and you could see this anytime that there was a debate is like. People do know what mealy mouth, mushy, yeah. political, politiques, yeah. you know, bullshit sounds like. Yeah. And when you're talking totally. out of both sides of your mouth and it's all been right. it's all been focus grouped and focus yeah. tested, like we know what that sounds like and it sounds weak right. and it sounds like tired and it sounds like nothing I want to listen to. And not to. trustworthy. And it sounds really untrustworthy, right. that's true. And and you could see this in the debates when, you know, Sanders would come out and say like, <laughs> you know, like four simple declarative yeah, sentences right. in a row and you're just like oh right uh, yeah. all right yeah, yeah okay and, <laughs> and that's honestly i think what counterbalances you know i i know people because i'm in i'm in like uh, not upstate new york but an area of new york that's not the city and there are people here who are have trump signs you know have signs that say like pass the gas about fracking and they hate socialism but they think that bernie they trust bernie sanders Right. Like, it's a very interesting thing that happens. And I think you have a lot of people who a lot of people say, well, I disagree with him on certain things, but I trust him and I think he's a good man. Uh, mm -hmm. And I do think that and it's funny because it's like Trump. Trump is consistent in his not giving a shit. Sanders is consistent right. in his giving a shit. And then the mealy yeah. mouth people in the middle are not. Do you know what and I mean? You, There's like I do. Yeah. And I think that people feel that. Yeah. And I think that and then I think that on the other side, you know, uh the the Joe Biden campaign is let's just and to a certain degree, COVID is the greatest thing that ever happened to Joe Biden. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. the fact that he is required by science and health officials to sit in in the his basement, basement and yeah. not actually and not actually do anything is is really quite helpful for yeah. him because it has kept him out of yeah. the limelight. And yeah. so that that theory is don't don't make a move, right. don't be threatening, um, don't do anything, don't make a mistake. Let Trump continue right. to flail and ruin this. That he's crashed the economy. There's really nothing that the Republicans could have done going into this election to make their electoral prospects worse, yeah. right? The, the way that they behaved about spreading disinformation about COVID, the way that they have behaved, oh, cause this is another thing on the list, like the whole like, we need another um, relief package going right. into the fall and then actually just going on recess for a month and right. not taking care of it. Like that, that level of abdication of responsibility is like literally like breaking of the social contract right. level levels of neglect yeah. and negligence by your elected officials, which, right. which is something that just happened, right. which is the kind of thing that Mitch McConnell ought to be doing when he's trying to defeat President Hillary Clinton and make things as bad for President Hillary Clinton yeah, as he possibly right. can. Right. You spread disinformation about COVID. You stall the reform. You stall the, the aid packages. Right. You make sure that as many people lose their jobs as possible. Right. 
and everybody is just like pissed and wants a, and and uh, and is not getting what they need. You do all those things against if your opponent is sitting in the White House. They did all of these right. things, and like yeah, Trump yeah. is the one right. in the White House. Right. It's totally, absolutely yeah. bananas how much they, and even even with all of that, we're still sitting here looking at you know it's going to come down to the wire. It's going to come yeah. down to a couple ten thousand votes, and you never really know um, which way it's going to swing. But what I do think is true is that whatever whatever happens in November, it's going to not be good. Yeah. And I think that, you know, uh, not having and 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 so that now the question becomes to, to keep to keep this on what 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 happens when you have an ineffectual um, opposition. Uh, opposition. Right. Let's let's just paint a scenario where Trump declares victory. He wins. It's maybe because of electoral college shenanigans. Um, it is maybe because of voter suppression shenanigans. There's lots now anecdotal evidence of trashing of ballots and right. you know polling play. There's there's a mil, there, there's thirty lawsuits that are going on, you know fifty lawsuits going every which way, and it all goes to where it goes to the Supreme Court, which is another right. thing that is on the list that I just remembered, but I didn't write it down for this. But ah uh, yes, write it let's down not before forget. you forget. Let's not forget that time. SCOTUS has been itself fatally um, made illegitimate by both the the double whammy of like the Merrick Garland to to Gorsuch, you know, uh, breaking of that, you know, uh, breaking of that norm and not allowing Obama to fill that seat. And then everything that happened with Kavanaugh, right? And Kavanaugh is is widely used. Yep. I mean, and we're, we're in the same boat. So, so if, if the Supreme court, if it's Bush v. Gore um, again, where the Supreme Court steps in and says, oh, yes, well, in our considered legal opinion, you know, right. just by just we're just calling balls and strikes here. Right. We're going to award the election to Trump, um, you know, then in that case, what does our what do our sort of, quote unquote, opposition leaders do, which is Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, right. Joe Biden, the candidate himself, who is ostensibly the leader of the party. Right. Um, it, what is what does Barack Obama do? in that situation. And you just, nothing that I've seen over the past five years has led me to believe that they would mount a really serious challenge yeah. to, uh, to a, a, a stealing of an election or of him remaining in office. Like, cause that's the other thing is what happens if he gets defeated, declares shenanigans, says, oh, actually, I didn't lose, um, but the Democrats cheated, so I'm not going to leave office. Like, what happens then? What do you, right. what do you, how do you, how do you push? How do you pull? And, um, you know, it's great to sit around and talk with my friends about, you know, where we have to seriously, like, okay, well, what does the army do in that right. situation? And you're never in a good place as a society. When that's the question. If, 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 and even if I think what the answer is, is I, the, I think that the military establishment hates Trump. Yeah. And, and on a, on a individual level in terms of like the personalities between yes. him and the generals and then institutionally between right. the Pentagon and him, like, yeah. it's like they're, the Pentagon is actually not in Trump's corner. Yeah. Uh, so, so what would they do? They're not going to back him. And that's right. reassuring, but yeah. it's never great to be in a place where you're feeling reassured because you're pretty sure that the army like won't go right. with Trump. Right. Yeah. And the intelligence community is going to be like, which I mean, one of my big problems with the Dems is this narrative and and acting like the intelligence community will save us. Although in this one rare, I mean, I do think that this would be a time where they potentially could. And then, of course, the question, because I don't think they would go along with the Trump uh, thing, Trump, you know, a legal thing. 
but he could win through the Electoral College. And Absolutely. the biggest thing is, of course, and I feel kind of con conflicted about this. I think there's a dangerous, um, like, people's hearts are in the right place, but this discourse around looting, which I think looting is not the same as, as at all as, like, a cop who is paid to ostensibly keep law and order and protect citizens. Like, right. like that is not the same. At the same time, I think that there's been a kind of um, an almost shaming of people who question looting as a tactic in a way that I worry, like we will, the, the non-Trumpers and the people who, who, not the never Trumpers, but like the original OG, we're, you know, we never liked Trump. We weren't Republicans. Like our side, the leftists, the progressives, like we are outarmed. There is nothing like I don't care how worthy the cause is. Like we are not going to be able to do an armed, correct revolution, right? And so I just think that that's something that we have to like be, where you know, careful with. And and there's a real like a real and maybe this is just an online thing and this has no this doesn't like resonate with 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 most people. But there's a real I think like shame like how dare you question violence when it's the police I'm like i know i know the police are the violent ones like i totally know that and i don't think looting is at all the equivalent of that but just as a tactic like we have to start thinking about what's going to happen because we're not going to be able to do it with arms yeah and it, it and looting, that requires yeah. like and that and that requires a critical mass of people because right. you have, you have and, and a critical mass of people <clears throat> who will almost certainly be operating under conditions where Trump will declare a state of national emergency. Yeah, exactly. Because, right. there's, because there's been a resurgence of COVID and everybody has to stay inside their house. So you actually right. can't go. Right. We're like less, um, it's less, po I mean, it was never possible, but it was le it's less possible now. Right. Than ever, but yeah. it still, things still could get out of hand. Right. No, uh, shit could and, hit the fan and, big time. It's just going to boomerang back onto. Correct. Yeah, it's yeah. it's not going to be good. And because also the the people who are armed uh, are you know the the boogaloo people, right, those exactly. militia type, yeah. are are going to come out and they will fight right. back. Right. And so when so when I talk about a revolutionary moment, right, like you know this was all true roughly too of you know the people of Paris in 1789, people of Paris in 1830. Um, and in it, and a lot of it comes down to uh, will, which is, you know, it, I, I, I actually I wrote I wrote a little thing here in the book. Um, I'll give you a preview of the book oh, here because this is this is this is a thing that wound up in the book is like when so in like your when new the book? yeah the new book yeah, uh, which great. is not which is called Hero of Two Worlds, uh, the Marquis de Lafayette in the Age of Revolution. And when does that come out? It, uh, it'll come out in June of next year. Oh great! Yeah, so it's it's I'm I'm finishing the manuscript right now hopefully um, the planet and, will be still around yeah 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 yeah. i i hope yeah and i would like to go on a book tour you know i really yeah. like books and i i don't i i don't know if it's going to happen which is kind of depressing I know, yeah uh, but again but i'll put on a brave face there are worse yeah. things than, right. than not being able to go right. on a book and, tour. yeah but um there's this thing like so when like in 1781 when Cornwallis lost at Yorktown and there was there was no reason why that 
necessarily had to be the end of the American War of Independence. All right. The British were were a large empire. They were very wealthy. They could have taken out new loans. They could have built new ships. They could have conscripted new forces. They could have sent them across the Atlantic. They could have gone right back to work because, you know, Cornwallis was only leading, you know, seven, 10,000 people. Yeah. Um, so they could have kept the war going. They had the material ability to keep the war going. They still continue to outgun uh, the American forces. You know, they could have outlasted the French, probably, right. um, in terms of their ability to raise men, money, and material. But the thing is, is that by 1781, everybody in like London and in Westminster was like, "This, this is pointless. We don't want to do this anymore. This is at, this is sunk. This is a sunk thing, and we don't want to do it anymore." So, and this is something that Clausewitz talks about too, in in um in uh, in on war which is you're you're not it war and conflict is not a game of like how many battleships can you destroy and how many planes can you shoot down and how many bullets can you fire it is how do you break the will of your opponent and if you break the will of your opponent to continue the fight it doesn't matter how many guns they have or how many ships they have um, if they don't want to use them if they don't have the will to actually use them um, then you win and if you don't have anything, if you have been stripped of everything, but your will is still with you, then what do you do? You pick up a rock and you throw it right. and you keep the war going and the war never dies. And there are lots of places throughout the world where the con the war has never ended, right? Where people are continuing to pick up rocks and throw them, even though they are outgunned. Um, so in this sense, does the, you know, does the American military establishment and its police forces massively outgun any kind of what I would say like progressive or left-wing um, popular challenge or street mobilization to actually like build barricades and stage a revolution in the way that we would think of one happening in 1830 or 1848 or the Paris Commune or anything like that. Like, yes. Um, but is there a possibility that they could, that that kind of movement could break the will of the people who would be giving those orders to ever actually give those orders. Yes, I think that that's possible. Now, Tiananmen Square, right? They tried that and right. they didn't, they, you know, the Chinese government said, nope, we're going to do it. Uh, we're going to go ahead and roll in. We're going to, we're going to roll in with the tanks and we're going to mow these people down and we, we are going to give that order. Um, lots of times in lots of places, they didn't, they refused to give that order. They wouldn't give that order. And this is partly what happened when, um, uh, when uh, when the Berlin Wall came down and when when sort of the when the Cold War ended, a lot of that <clears throat> was mass mobilized, just people standing around in a place and then the government officials being unwilling to actually at that point give the order to open fire and do, you know, let's roll the tanks into Budapest right. and crush these people. Now we don't want to do that. Right. So there is a possibility that no matter how many, you know, whatever, whatever the armament, whatever the guns at their disposal is, if enough people are mad, and I don't know what it is because you can talk about, you know, really agitated left wing people. Okay. That's not enough, right? That's not even right. close to enough. Yeah. Certainly not the United States of America. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Right. right. It, it, it is a tiny, tiny, tiny minority of a minority. Um, so you need the moms. Right. That's who you're yeah, talking about. Or what or, happened just now in Portland. Right. There yes. A, there was right, a night totally, where, yeah. the, where the moms went and linked arms. And if you sent the moms of America who are pissed about their kids and their schooling situation, who are upset about the fact that they don't have jobs or that yeah. they might lose their jobs, who are upset because they haven't seen their parents, they're upset because they haven't seen their grandkids. 
They're upset because of the way Donald Trump has treated the country. They're upset because they know people who have died of COVID. Um, they're upset because they have just now watched him very possibly steal an election. You send that energy jolting through the country. Maybe you do get, you know, maybe those maybe those suburbanites, maybe those moms, who's really what we're taking, you know, if the right. moms of America yeah. go out there, you know, and Trump says, all right, mow them down. Right. Uh, are people going to fall? Bad optics. Or, bad optics. That's, that's, that's optics that's so bad. It might, I mean, uh, you know, let's see. Does Mitch McConnell have a soul? Um, you know, maybe right. he does. Yeah, I don't know if he does. I don't think he does, but I think it causes defecting. It could cause defecting. Yeah. And and you Among, and yeah. then and then at that point you could have, yes, the the kind of defection that would create something else. So so that's what it is. You you know, the United States is never going to see a a left-wing revolution, right. you know, like Cuba or, or right. even like Russia. Right. Uh, it's far far more likely that the country goes you know that it's Spanish Civil War time, right? And it's, you know it's Franco. It's Hopefully Franco. Hopefully the good guys Franco, win this time, though. Yeah, but, Franco yeah, for not. America in the 21st century, which is you know honestly not to end this on a downbeat, probably the most likely scenario. Yeah, because um, that's what America structurally and uh, emotionally and socially is far more primed for that for kind of um, you know uh, uh, capitalist fascism right. rather than you know socialism. Yeah, or even like social democracy. Or even like social democracy, yeah. even though social democracy polls really well. I know, I know. That's why we got to, like, yeah, we got to, yeah. just want things and people are like, yeah. I know. It's like, okay, well, this guy wants to give it to you. Oh, well, no, I don't no, want him. Yeah. Um, I, so this has been amazing and I could talk to you for longer. This is just part one. We've, to quote, I believe that, Someone who I don't really like to cite because she's not the most inspirational figure, but I believe it's Karen Carpenter. We've only just begun. We've only just begun. Right. Well, I thank you for the opportunity to uh, indulge in my inner Cassandra yet again. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's awesome. My, my favorite thing. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and I have so many like much nerdier questions about the Roman Empire um, and uh, empire, what revolution means, like what the definition is, because that's such a fraught type kind of like question. Revolution versus coup. Um, oh, I have to come up with a definition of revolution. I know. Oh, jeez, uh, well, I, I didn't think I didn't think that was due until well, the end of Revolution's well, podcast. When yeah, I actually okay. was going to have to sit down and say, okay, this we is, can crowdsource no, it. I, no, it's in my. Uh, you know, on a, your to-do list. It's on your to-do right. list. Because yeah. at the beginning, if you listen to the, the intro episode, I'm yeah. like, a revolution is anything that looks like a revolution. Right. And now, yeah. And then I decided I should probably come up with a pretty decent um, yeah. definition yeah. by uh, the series. And I want to know your, uh, you know, best revolution, worst revolution, uh, okay. biggest fake, you know, we can talk about lots of things, but all bi right, all biggest right. psych. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. Um, and yeah, and I think like this is, and then also like what, is to be done, right? Because I think we got to a lot of like the setup and now how do we deal with it? So um, so I'm excited about that part, part two. Um, and uh, yes, and where can people, what anything you want to make sure people know to follow? Oh, to okay. okay, so um, the Revolutions podcast exists. Um, it's currently on hiatus while I finish the book, but I'll be coming back in a couple months to do part two of, the Russian Revolution. I did everything through 1905, and then we're going to pick it up from 1905 and and run it to the end. Um, uh, I also did the History of Rome, which is also available on iTunes and anywhere uh, um, podcasts are found. I have a book called The Storm Before the Storm: The Beginning of the End of the Roman Republic, 
about the decline and fall of the Roman Republic. Right. And I'm currently writing Hero of Two Worlds, the Marquis de Lafayette in the Age of Revolution, which is about him in three revolutions because it's the American Revolution, the French Revolution, and then he comes back around as a pudgy old man to put back on his National Guard uniform one last time in July of 1830 and plant the Republican kiss on uh, Louis Philippe. The best, the best mug to kiss. Oh, God. The best. He was a, was a pear. Yeah. Pear, <laughs> the best pear shaped the mug. Best, the yeah. best pear. The best. Yeah. There were, there were a couple of pears up there. Yeah. Um, lots of pear so people. That's how, that's how Damier always, uh, always depicted Louis Philippe was as a pear. Yeah. Could be okay. worse. In fact, uh, he called him he called him Mon Pere. Just kidding. <laughs> um, and yeah, thank you so much. And everyone, uh, check out those podcasts if you haven't already. They're addictive. Um, oh, and I, oh, and I'm on Twitter mostly at Mike Duncan. Okay, um, you're back on because I because I was like I was like a weirdly early adopter of Twitter. Yeah. Um, so it's just my name, Mike Duncan, okay. which is awesome. Wild. All right, thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks. And to hear the rest of this discussion, which hasn't happened yet with Mike Duncan, come on down to my YouTube channel Sunday, September 13th at noon Eastern Standard Time, and we will be continuing it live. And that's youtube.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Thanks again so much for listening to the Katie Helper Show. Our theme song is by the band Cordova. 